Hey everyone, welcome to the pod. Bert Alcorn here. Uh, we are in the middle of our why week. So uh, a week, uh, and maybe bleeding over a little bit over to next week, trying to unpack, dissect, and take you on the journey of why we as a local community here in Ventura have made some of the changes to how we are thinking about church, how we're structuring our church, uh, really trying to understand our change in method over this season. And so my hope really is to take you on a bit of a journey uh, and understanding what some of that is. And we've said this from the beginning that we want to have a really good foundation of the why before we talk about the what and the how. And, and some of you guys may know some of what we're doing already. I, I really hope um, next week get to take you a little bit even deeper into some of the, the mechanics of what we're doing and, and some of what this is going to be looking like as it gets fleshed out over the coming months and e- even years. Um, But we want to start with the why. We want to make sure we have a clear understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. So so we don't get in the place of pontificating or squabbling or idolizing method, but we really stay true to to why it is we're compelled and convicted in a certain way and let that dictate what it is we are actually doing. So the beginning of the week, we're starting with story. Um, Then we look to two key texts to help shape some of our thinking. And those key texts were Acts chapter 5, really almost the whole entire thing. Um, The story of the uh, religious leaders and elite telling the the disciples of Jesus, you got to stop talking about Jesus. They refuse. They get put in prison. They get broken out of prison. Then they're brought before the religious leaders again, and they're beaten for it. And then they leave rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering for the sake of Christ. And in light of that, their posture is to go from day to day, temple to temple, house to house, preaching and teaching that Jesus is the Christ. That is our overwhelming um message uh, and mission is to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. And then in Luke chapter 5, we were looking at Jesus's parable and and teaching around wine and wine skins and how really the most important thing is the the wine, not the actual wine skins that the wine is held in, then you basically create the wine skin that is necessary to hold the new wine. And so the new wine is the new thing God is doing. Jesus, of course, was talking about new covenant, old covenant. So new covenant is he himself, his life, his teaching, his ministry, the gospel. Old covenant was you know, rabbinic law, mosaic law, Old Testament sacrificial system, et cetera, et cetera. But we know he's also talking at two different levels here. He's saying we have to be pliable with method so we can continue to walk out the mission and the message in all time and all places. And in light of that text, uh, we really saw um, some old wineskins that we need to chuck or that God may be dismantling or already has dismantled uh, in this particular season. And to call those things out, to name them and to actually say like, no, we want to counterform in this new season so that we can receive and walk in the 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 new way God is, is taking us here. And so yesterday was the old wineskin as I go to church and we are crafting the new wineskin of we are the church. And remember the wineskin is not the point, um, it is simply the thing that holds or is the vehicle that God brings the wine. So we said, what's more important, the wine bottle or the wine inside the bottle? And so the wine inside the bottle is more important than we have to be flexible with the wine bottle. Okay, so today's old wineskin, number two old wineskin, is I am a passive consumer. 
Now, it's probably worth noting that all of these wineskins sound kind of like derogatory and negative, and we would probably never, I think if we genuinely are trying to follow after Jesus, we probably never actually say the quiet part out loud. Um, But if we look inside ourselves and our past habits and rhythms and patterns, we probably see these things have crept up consciously or subconsciously. So no, no one's out. No one's waking up in the morning going, how can I be? a passive consumer um, in the church. And no one's waking up in the morning going, how can I degradate the church so much that I I relegate it to an event I attend or a building I visit? No, I don't think anyone's consciously doing that. I hope. Maybe I'm trying to assume the best about people. But these things are still here. And so this idea, this this wineskin of I am a passive consumer, I don't I don't believe anyone wakes up going, I I'm, can't wait to be a passive consumer today, but it, it is what our culture has built into us, and it is the path of least resistance more often than not, and it is the easy way that we've settled into. And it's and it's not only the culture that's been forced upon us, but there's a permission structure in the church that's allowed for this to continue where it says, if you just attend my events and give to my thing, we won't ask too much of you. And I just simply don't see that in the scriptures. I simply don't see Jesus saying, you know, if you just like, if you can just donate some some fishes and loaves, if you just donate some some money to, to my ministry, um, and if you just show up when I'm doing the big teachings, I, I won't ask too much of you. I just don't see that. What I actually see is, is Jesus preaching and teaching to, to thousands and thousands and his crowd shrinking because of the high call that he is putting in front of his people. There's a writer, author, and pastor down in Melbourne, Australia, Mark Sayers, um, and phenomenally influenced and shaped by his work over the last decade or so. Um, and he, he's developed this idea in one of his books of, of PACT, P-A-C-T. And that stands for passive aggressive consumer trap. And he says this is the dominant way that we, at least in the West, tend to approach God, um, life, church, uh, even our jobs or our families. And what he means by this idea of passive aggressive consumer trap is he means that we live in a culture that prizes critique the prizes image, that prizes looking like we're really into something, but staying removed, uh, staying distant, staying disengaged. And Paul picks up on the same idea in the book of 1 Corinthians. I, I think it's, cha- I don't have it in front of me, it's chapter 3 or chapter 4, where he talks about, um, he, he paints this picture of like a kind of a gladiator situation, an arena, and he and, and those who are faithfully doing the work of ministry are, are in the ring. They're in the middle. They're actually doing the work. They're, they're getting beat up for it. And he's calling out these Christians who are sitting on the sideline as he's getting slaughtered for the gospel. And they're sitting on the sideline critiquing this or critiquing that or complaining about this or saying, I wish it was more like this. And I just wish the church was more like that or whatever. And he's saying, no, 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 if you're following, you need to get into the game. If you follow Jesus, you need to get into the ring. You don't stay on the sidelines critiquing, you jump in. And this idea of prizing critique and image and looking like we're really into something, but staying distant, staying, like the amount of people I know who are really into ecclesiology, the the mechanics and idea and theology of the church, but are not actually involved and engaged in their local church is astounding. 
Like the amount of people I see on social media pontificating on the church should be this, the church should be that, whatever, but are actually not a part of a church. It's just pure hypocrisy. And it's the opposite of what it means to follow Jesus. Like that we're highly interested in receiving something of value, of having a lot of opinions or talking a big game, but don't actually have any skin in the game. Not actually doing anything different with our lives. Like that, that makes no sense with how Jesus talks about following him. And, you know, we disengage for a number of reasons. Maybe we're, <coughs> excuse me, maybe we're waiting for something better. Um, because in our time, in our place, we're oppressed by what we could be doing, not what we should be doing. Maybe we're disengaged or, you know, waiting for something better, right? This is the classic, I think, um, to use what is becoming now cliche, like a millennial problem, is we're hesitant to commit to anything in fear of the next best thing that comes along. And then we've bound ourselves to something that's mediocre or something that is now in this new light, like not as good as the next thing that's come along. So we have the last minute bail culture, last minute text culture, you know, where you get invited to a thing. You say, yes, you get invited to another thing that seems better. And then you go back and bail on that first thing you've committed to. Um, So, you know, we disengage for a number of reasons. Maybe we're actually quite comfortable and any change at all is uncomfortable, right? Don't, don't underestimate the power of comfort as a roadblock and resistance um, to your apprenticeship to Jesus and taking up your cross and denying yourself. Like I, I, it's probably comfort and security or maybe one of the number one, uh, some of the top weapons that the enemy will use to rob your apprenticeship of, of any effectiveness and, and fruitfulness is to just make you comfortable. Because if you're comfortable, what do you need Jesus for? If you're comfortable, then the call to take up your cross and die to him daily is like, why, why would I do that? Why would I, why would I welcome discomfort into my life? Why would I welcome anything that challenges the status quo, that challenges my happiness? Like, what if Jesus calls you to live in an expensive city where you can't buy a house? Like, what? What, doesn't Jesus want me to be happy? Uh, not really. That's not really his primary goal here. In his book, Mark Sayers, uh, in his book, The Roadship That Changed the World, Sayers makes the case that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We just don't want to be bound by it. How often do we miss out on what God is doing because we're too comfortable or we're too busy waiting for the next best thing to come along. So we give this half-hearted commitment to a local community in a city because what if there's a better community out there? Or we're half-hearted or maybe pull away and we disengage because it doesn't check all the boxes perfectly. We love the idea of following Jesus until we actually have to follow him and be with him and sacrifice some of what we want to do to cultivate intimacy with him. We love the idea of becoming like Jesus until it costs us something, until we have to change. Why, Jesus would never ask me to change. Yes, he absolutely would. We love the idea of doing what Jesus did until we actually have to do what Jesus did. There's, there's a, a line that in 1 Corinthians that sticks with me when I think about the church. 
And it's bugged me um, incessantly over the years, right? I shared some of my story early in the week. I, I grew up in the church and I'm, and I will say like I'm 90% grateful for that. But then there's like 10% that just sort of eats away at me a little bit of like maybe how we did things was not the healthiest and the best. Um, and there, there's this line in 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul is talking about the church and genuinely correcting a lot of what's going wrong in, in the church in Corinth. And the, the line goes like this. In verse uh, 26 of chapter 14, he says, What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Here's, here's the problem with that verse, is especially if you were raised in the Christian faith, is we, we, we jump to that middle bit and we get all hung up on like, oh, what, what is a lesson? Is that a teaching? Is that the same thing? Uh, what, what is a revelation? That sounds kind of weird. That sounds scary. That sounds too supernatural. That can't be a real thing. Uh, a tongue? An interpretation? No, 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 no. Tongues seem weird. They freak people out. Like they can't possibly what Paul is getting at. Or, or Jesus couldn't possibly want us to do something that would make us feel uncomfortable or weird, right? And I think we actually miss out on, on the most profound part of that verse is two words. Each one. We skip over that one, don't we? We, we assume that maybe Paul is just talking to the church leaders. We jump right into the controversial parts about what is tongues and interpretation or revelation. And, and we get say, yeah, all things need to be done for, for building up. And, and we, we get all hung up on the wrong part of this verse, I think. I, I think where we should get all hung up is each one. Each one. That, that when the church comes together, everybody has something to bring. Even the, the, the newly saved by Jesus person in recovery, even the kids who seem like a distraction, uh, even the person that has theology that's different than you, uh, even, even the person that, that seems a little bit weird and, and vote, doesn't vote the same way you do, even the people that don't seem very talented in an upfront kind of way, Paul's very concerned with every person in the church, contributing as a committed participant in the church. He's very concerned with everybody playing their part, playing a role. And not necessarily, you know, one of the things I love about 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and then in Romans is just the diversity of how God's people are gifted for carrying out the life God has asked them to carry out. Like he he gives us everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need. And I believe that's individually and the church. He gives us everything we need. God has given us everything we need to carry out in obedience, the call that God has given us in this season. There is nothing we are lacking. There is nothing you are lacking to contribute to the church. So the old wineskin says, I'm a passive consumer. And, and what we mean by that, what I mean by that is, is I sit here, I intake something that I judge to be valuable or maybe not valuable, and then I leave. I don't contribute. And not only is it I don't contribute, but, I, but I'm passive. I sit here, and then if I hear something I don't like or I'm asked to do something I want to do, instead of really chewing on that, I just leave. Passive consumer. I don't believe that's how Jesus talks about his church. You know who the worst offenders are of this? Christians. You know who the worst Christian offenders are of this? 
longtime Christians. The old wineskin says, I'm a passive consumer. If we want the new wine that Jesus has for us, we have to kill and slay that idea that somehow the church exists to benefit me. And if it ceases to benefit me in my particular vision of life, I will leave or I will complain or I will lodge a complaint or I will get other people riled up about that. What Paul and Jesus get at in the church is that you and I and every single person in the church has something to bring to the table as a committed participant. That's the new wineskin. A church full of people who are committed to participating in the life and activity of the church body. Now, what is beautiful, and we'll get into this more next week, about how we are trying to structure our church in this new season, is we don't want to bottleneck anymore. We don't want to bottleneck leadership or bottleneck moments where if people don't fit inside the neat box of what quote-unquote church ministry is like, then they don't have a role to play. No, no, we want to make space for every single person to use every single way God has gifted them to build up, to encourage, to further the growth of the kingdom and bless and comfort those inside the church. The new wineskin is I am a committed participant. Okay, so a couple of questions here about these wineskins. Where are you a passive consumer? We all do it. No one's perfect. So we all do it. Where are you a passive consumer? Where are you hoping to receive and not give? Is it um, with maybe like, uh, just off the top of my head, is it with maybe marriage? You really would love to receive. You've been married you know, five, six, seven, eight years, whatever. And you want to receive, you know, mentorship or counseling from someone who goes older to you. Are you looking to receive that without thinking about the couple who's been married six months and wanting to give and pour out to them? Is it with kids where maybe you gladly took advantage, not took advantage, you, you gladly enjoyed the privilege of a robust kids ministry, but never set foot in that classroom yourself to serve other families? You're a passive consumer. And once again, I'm not, you don't wake up with malicious intent going, how can I like take advantage? But it's what we have entered into. And maybe no one's challenged you on it. Maybe you thought that was someone else's problem. Maybe you found a good excuse to justify your way out of it. Maybe it's with money where you are glad to have a voice in shaping where the money goes as a church or glad to receive financial help from the church, but have never once given to the local church. How are you being a passive consumer? Maybe it's been in this six months or so where churches had to move online and, and flex and adapt in all sorts of new ways. We've said, I don't, re- I don't really like the worship that's happened. I'm going to go find some better worship. I, I don't really, you know, I don't really like the teaching here. It's maybe um, too in-depth, too long, or maybe it's not in-depth enough or not long enough. Maybe it's too challenging. Maybe it's not challenging enough. Maybe it's not relevant enough or it's a little too relevant. You just want someone to preach the word and, and you sit there as a passive consumer and instead of engaging with your local church and how they have decided to gather in this unique season, you start online church shopping and you start watching other services and you start disengaging from your local community and just finding a better show. How are you being a passive consumer? We all do it. How are you doing it? 
The second question is how might God be calling you to work out your committed participation? So let me answer a question for you. Is God calling you to be a committed participant in his local church? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. That's not up for discussion. Sorry, guys. It's not, it's not an option. Well, what if I'm moving in six months and, and I don't really know what the future is going to look like? Cool. Well, you have six months to give to that local church. Well, what if I don't agree with all the decisions that are being made? Well, of course, you can't violate your conscience, but you're not going to agree with everyone perfectly. Well, what if there really isn't like a place for, for, for me to do anything? Cause there's, you know, I, there's not a, a spot for me to use how God has gifted me. Cool. Well, I have two answers for, first of all, no one has the spiritual gift of stacking chairs. Sometimes you just got to get it done. No one has the spiritual gift of washing dishes, but someone's got to clean those dishes. But at the same time, no one has said you have to stay inside a particular box. Maybe, maybe God has wired you and gifted you uniquely to bring something new to that local community. So, so let me answer this first question. Is God calling me to be a committed participant? Yes. Is it okay for me to be a passive consumer? As a believer, unequivocally, no. That is never an okay posture and attitude. Never. It's just not. So the question is, how might God be calling you to be a committed participant? And maybe the last question, what's stopping you? Fear, complacency, comfort, bitterness, frustration, pride. What is stopping you from being a committed participant in the church? I I believe if we can answer these questions and genuinely say, God, I want what you want for me. If we can genuinely say, like, I'm in this, God, whatever you have for me, I believe the church would be unstoppable. I I believe that we can make such a profound impact in our culture and in our world where, where maybe the world rolls our eyes at us, but they don't roll our eyes at us for being hypocrites. They roll our eyes at us for being crazy committed to the way of Jesus in a way that no one else who's not been changed by the Holy Spirit could never do. The old wineskin says, I'm a passive consumer the new wineskin we have to embrace so we can be filled with the new wine is I am a committed participant. All right, that was wineskin number two. Tomorrow, I'll be back. uh, Sorry, not tomorrow, Monday, I'll be back with wineskin number three. Today is Friday, so here is your regular reminder you get from me whenever I put out a pod on a Friday is the weekend is coming, and at least in Southern California, it is forecast to be beautiful for the next six months. So um, my call to you is amidst all the other distractions and opportunities and maybe quote-unquote better things out there, is to engage with your local church however they are choosing to gather in this season. Every city, county, state is different. And so wherever you live, how your local church is choosing to gather and call people to worship Jesus and learn from the scriptures is I'm challenging you to actually do it, to engage with it, whether it is online, in person, with whatever kind of restrictions going on. It may not be your preference. In fact, it's probably not your preference, but your preference is not the point. So engage with your local church this Sunday, and I'll see you back here on Monday.